Do you love listening to the tarot diagnosis? Would you like more of it in your life? Come visit our shop where you can buy a growing collection of mini courses, guidebooks, and soon to be much, much more. It's a great way to expand your own tarot practice, check in with your mental health, and support our work. Just go to thetarotdiagnosis.com and click the shop link. We're so grateful for your support. You're listening to The Tarot Diagnosis. We're your hosts. I'm Luna. And I'm Shannon. We're both clinical psychotherapists who train together at Johns Hopkins. Now we are both in private practice in Tampa, Florida, and in Baltimore, Maryland. We also both happen to have a love for tarot. Each episode, we work to demystify the tarot and explore its connections to mental and emotional health. While this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is not meant to take the place of psychotherapy. Join us while we pull cards to better understand ourselves and those around us. Hey, Luna. Hey, Shannon. So I think we're both pretty excited about what we're talking about today. <laughs> um, I think we're going to like totally nerd out over the concept of forced or toxic gratitude. Totally. I'm like buzzing with it. I'm so excited with this topic. And I feel like it was like a gift from God to like kind of come up with this idea like right around Thanksgiving. So like I'm very excited because I think that it's going to be a little bit of a different conversation. Yes, exactly. When we were originally kind of mulling over what to talk about and gratitude came up, I was like, oh no, that's too cliche. But then we were like, yeah, but we're not going to talk about it in right. a way that everyone else is kind of talking about it. We, we know that that's not something that we enjoy. And um, I, ha I have to share this like funny story too, before we kind of like hop in. And it was so timely. Um, so <laughs> this this situation happened like a week ago. And my, so my best friend moved into this, this new house. And so we're FaceTiming while she's decorating her new house. And she's got this kind of like eclectic farmhousey vibe going on. <laughs> and so she's like hanging all of these decorations in her dining room. Right. And I'm like on FaceTime watching her hang everything up. And, um, <laughs> as she's like putting on like the final touches on the wall, she's like, Oh, and I'm like, what? <laughs> she's like, this last thing about to hang, it says grateful. And I was like, okay. And she's like, but this thing also says grateful. <laughs> and like they were supposed to be like right next to each other. And we're both laughing. And she's like, geez, how grateful am I supposed to be? <laughs> and then I'm just like, we're both like laughing. And then, you know, a few days later, you and I are like, hey, let's do this episode. And you know, I really started paying attention to how the idea and the concept of gratitude shows up in life. And I mean, especially after that situation, especially kind of within the confines of capitalism. Mm -hmm. um, and we are literally force fed gratefulness. I mean, if you think about it, you go to Target, like you go to any home decor store, there's literally the sign grateful everywhere on, everywhere yes, yeah like thankful grateful blessed everywhere, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's how that's how she, you know, ended up with way too many <laughs> too grateful signs <laughs> and great yeah gratitude signs you know so it's like listen you must be grateful and everyone who walks into your house must know that you're grateful um so <laughs> it's <laughs> it's interesting how you know society even feeds us this idea that we have to be grateful no matter what I mean that's such a funny story and like I right. think it like it speaks to like the problem that yes. we are trying to address in this one because I think that there is actually a lot of reasons I mean there's science and like personal experience behind the idea of like this having a gratitude practice or being grateful actually is good for you 
but not in this sort of like performative, like forced way. And like, I think what you just said is so right. Those signs are kind of like, if we like step back at those signs, it is kind of a like signaling of everyone, like everyone know I'm a good person. I'm grateful. And (laughs) also now is your time. Let me like (laughs) shove this down your throat in this moment. What everyone is supposed to be feeling is gratitude. And if you're not, you know, check your privilege. Right. Or like something's wrong with you or you should be ashamed of yourself. Um, And it's, yeah. So I feel like we have a ton to say on the topic. Um, Do you want to pull a card to open up the... I think we should. And I was... Session again. (laughs) I was thinking um, as I was driving the other day that maybe we shouldn't just say, let's pull a card on gratitude, but I kind of want to pull a card on the idea of like, what is a way of thinking about gratitude that we need to explore? Oh, perfect. So like starting with the idea of let's think about this in a different way rather than the cheesy way that everybody does. I see. Perfect. What deck are you using? I'm doing something different this week because I felt I like it. Feeling. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I decided to pull from a true heart intuitive tarot. Oh, you haven't used that deck in a while. I haven't. And it just was right there under my hand. And it's very, it's a very pretty deck. Um, It is. Some of the cards just are amazing. And some of them I'm like, I don't feel connected with. And so I sort of Mm -hmm. like, sometimes I'm like, I love this deck. And sometimes I'm like, meh. So we'll try it today. How about you? Uh, Modern Witch Tarot. Oh, I love that. I might get that. Because every time I see it, I'm like, oh, it's good. Yeah. What did you pull? Um, I actually pulled two accidentally. Nice. Which, um, yeah, it's funny when I'm the one who does it, I find it annoying when you do it. I think it's cool. <laughs> um, the first one is princess of swords, which is page of swords in a traditional deck. And the mm-hmm. second one is eight of discs. Ooh. Yeah. And I think that they oh. both have a lot to say. Oh yeah. How about you? What did you pull? Um, so also page of swords, but reversed. Oh, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited about that. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> That's very cool. Okay. Where shall we begin? We should probably talk about that page of swords. Yes. So what are you thinking about it upright? Um, you know, I mean, like, first of all, I'll just sort of say I haven't been pulling in reverse now for like quite a while. Um, I've noticed. <laughs> yeah, I just and I, I'm fine with it. I kind of feel like I just have a practice of when I pull a card, I sort of think of it in terms of this could be in reverse. Mm-hmm. So um, like, I just sort of don't let the card tell me if it's in reverse I just sort of choose to decide I don't know if like that makes sense it totally Um, does yeah yeah so page of I mean like I think that this though that card is really interesting because really it's about um a newness of an idea and um the joy of exploring a new idea and the fun of exploring Mm -hmm. a new idea and I kind of like that for it almost feels like it's validating what we're trying to do with this yeah in terms of like okay so like let's consider this idea that everybody's talking about and has become so ubiquitous through our culture and let's see if we can turn it upside down Mm, I think that's totally right I really and I love the modern um the depiction of the page of swords just based on the colors that are used in the artwork, because as soon as I pulled this card and I'm looking at it, it 
reminds me of just like smoke and mirrors. That's exactly what came up for me Mm. um, was that phrase, especially reversed. So reversed, typically this card would be about withholding how you feel and almost like this creation of an illusion. So keeping things like your thoughts and your feelings about something to yourself, which I still feel like is totally in alignment with what we're talking about in terms of, you know, toxic enforced gratitude. And yeah, I don't know. I just love the way this card looks reversed with with the colors and this like idea that we almost have to create in a, like that illusion of gratitude, like the hanging of the pictures yeah. of like, you know, the home of like, don't worry, I'm grateful. And it makes me think too, like growing up, I would hear things like, oh, be grateful you have a roof over your head or you're lucky you even have toys. And which those types of sentiments end up making us feel worse for having those things. And I think today we get it more so in terms of the first thing that came to mind when I was thinking about this was, well, at least you get to work from home now. And Mm, mm -hmm. I was like, Ooh, okay. And I had to think about that for a second too. Cause I'm like, Ooh, okay. Yes. This is an incredible privilege. And I'm well aware of that. But in terms of the topic that we're exploring today, I think it's okay for us and we need to share that it's okay for everyone to still like grieve what, they don't have or what they're missing or what they may have given up, even if they still have something to be grateful for. So for me, working from home, for example, like I do miss that like intimate feel of like in-person sessions because the majority of my clients are telehealth right now, but I'm still grateful that I was able to keep my job during the pandemic, but I'm allowed to still be sad that I can't connect with clients in the way that I used to Mm -hmm. um, and like share certain moments like that. And I think there's this like idea wrapped up in this, um, like especially Page of Swords reverse, like you have to put out this image that, um, you know, not like if you have, if you have things like being able to work from home or a roof over your head or food on the table, that it would be selfish for you to want more. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I, I mean, I think you're really getting into naming what the problem is with how we're talking about gratitude. And this is why I'm kind of really excited about these pages now that I'm really like sitting with them. Um, because um, I'm looking at the page um, of in writer Wade Smith, actually, because I just kind of like, like the image a little bit better. And I love how this guy is like holding this sword and kind of jaunty and kind of like, dun, 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 like, let's go and like, really slay some dragons. Let's go mm-hmm. out there and like, kind of get into an adventure. And I kind of want to pull in the second card I pulled, which is this um, Eight of Pentacles, yeah. um, which in this particular deck is absolutely gorgeous. It's a, a figure that's hooded carefully and meticulously um, painting an image onto a, a disc. And there's a spider web above it, which I think is like a lovely kind of nod to time and diligence and practice. And I think that it's time to point out that when the phrasing around gratitude is often saying like, we need to have a gratitude practice. And I think that Mm -hmm. we focus on this concept of gratitude and shove it down people's throats and forget about the idea of this is a practice. Gratitude is actually work. And it's something that needs to be um, done thoughtfully and with careful consideration and with a lot of sort of trial and error, instead of just kind of like this, like, let's vomit up five things that like, I'm grateful for today. So I kind of want to lean into the concept of this being a practice, rather than um, like a compulsory thing that we're doing. 
That is totally like what needs to be discussed right now. And so I think the way you just described that is brilliant because this reminds me of how you always say like two things can be true. Mm -hmm. So yeah, gratitude is super helpful. There's so much research out there and so many studies that show this can like having a gratitude practice can make your life better. And then we're also acknowledging that when you are forcing gratitude or feeling like it's something that you have to, um, have to practice in a very specific way that can be harmful. And I mean, this is definitely something that I've recommended in my practice with my clients. I'm I'm sure you have too. I don't know if I know a clinician who hasn't, um, but the way I tend to explore this, um, is from the lens that Viktor Frankl does. And Viktor Frankl is um, a famous uh, Austrian psychiatrist. You probably have heard of him or seen his work, probably just like at the bookstore. He, one of his famous books is Man's Search for Meaning. He coined this term called tragic optimism, which is essentially kind of what I view as realism. And I think that's what you're talking about too. Like let's approach gratitude from this realistic lens. And so Viktor Frankl says tragic optimism is essentially this ability to maintain hope and find meaning in life despite its inescapable pain, loss, and suffering. Mm. So if we apply that same concept to this practice of gratitude, we're basically showing that we can acknowledge a situation for what it is, and be grateful for what we have and what we're doing and still desire more that we can be sad that we don't have something we want yet still be grateful for what we already have. And this is like, you know, what I said a second ago, how two things can be true. Yes. You know, gratitude and the desire for more are not mutually exclusive. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Like that's exactly right. And I think you're getting into the real, um, the real meat on this issue. When I was um, getting ready for this episode, I kind of, you know, did a Google and uh, I found an article that was titled why I quit my gratitude practice to improve my mental (laughs) health. And I was like, check, let's, let's read this. (laughs) Um, It's uh, by somebody named Sarah Bentz and it came out October of 2020. Um, And I think that this person described brilliantly the problem that we have with the gratitude practice. And what she said was, my version of gratitude was just a way of invalidating my emotions. Yes, 100%. And I think that that's the problem. We've got become so reductive in terms of talking mm. about gratitude and brought it down to like signs that we hang on our walls and mm-hmm. like this little like daily like sure to do that it bec- it has become sort of this way of not acknowledging the pain and sort of almost like shaming or guilting yes. places where we do feel other normal human emotions like jealousy or anger and sometimes we have a good reason for feeling those feelings and we have a right to feel those feelings but if we just gratitude them away and dismiss mm-hmm. them then you're, they're not going away. They're festering. Mm. And that is a problem. And that is the opposite of what a gratitude practice actually is supposed to do. It's one of these things that like we see so commonly with humans is like we get a good idea and then we just reduce it and reduce it and reduce it until it actually becomes a problem. 
And I mean, there are studies, I ran across a, a research study from 2017 that actually shows that um, a gratitude practice for people with high level, like a, a pretty intense clinical anxiety or a clinical depression, that a gratitude practice is actually really dangerous and really harmful. So just kind of like throwing that at people is a terrible idea. I love that you're bringing this up because now this beautifully segues into the role that comparison plays in Mm. this idea of toxic gratitude. Because I think what you're talking about, especially in terms of anxiety and how incorporating, you know, an intense gratitude practice while you're suffering from anxiety is more likely to create this sense of shame and sense of guilt because we automatically compare ourselves to others when we are practicing gratitude because it's like, oh, I should be grateful that, you know, I have this partner and I'm not alone during the pandemic. But maybe you and your partner are having a really shitty time and you're like (laughs) not getting along. The relationship is not going well, but you're saying I should be grateful that I'm not alone. And you're comparing yourself to other people who might be alone. And when we compare our situation to others and we think, oh, it could be so much worse. Other people have it worse than I do. I should be grateful. That goes back to what you were saying about us completely invalidating and dismissing ourselves and denying ourselves a sense of compassion. And I think compassion compassion also plays a really important role in this too, because I think it's easy for us to show compassion to other people and not show compassion to ourselves. You know, I think that, yeah, I think that what you just said is all super right. And I'm kind of like leaning in towards like king and queen of cups. Yeah. Because this is complicated. This is not as simple as sort of this page of swords. Let's go slash this idea. Right. And let's just kind of like go into my mind and kind of cut and paste the wrong thoughts for the right thoughts. That's not the way humans work. But allowing for a diversity of experiences and feelings and recognizing where feelings sort of need to be honored and recognizing where thoughts mm. need to be shifted that's the real work of this. And like, I think it's worth saying, like, I think that one of the reasons I get really annoyed with this gratitude thing that we see everywhere is that it actually in some ways is kind of high level work in terms of personal development. And Mm -hmm. we're like, it's like giving algebra to a second grader. Like sometimes it's just not fair. Yes. Oh, that's brilliant. Thanks. Seriously. And that, I mean, that goes into, oh my gosh, this could, that could be a whole episode in and of itself. The importance of looking at the stages of development, Yes, you know, because yeah, a second grader, like exactly what you're saying, probably can't comprehend the emotional labor that goes into mm-hmm. something like a gratitude practice. <laughs> and that goes back to what I, an anecdote I shared earlier, remembering very vividly, you know, my parents saying, oh, you should be happy that you have toys. Like if I was at the store and I wanted a toy, I saw a toy that interested me. That's like, that's what kids do. They see toys and they're like, oh, I want that toy. Of sure. Of course. Every kid wants a toy. And, you know, to say things like, oh no, you have enough toys. Like you should be grateful for what you have automatically instills this idea of oh, something's wrong for me for wanting that. And something's wrong mm-hmm. with me for 
not being happy with what I already have. So I think it's important to be mindful of honestly where anybody's at developmentally, whether it's a child or an adult or whatever. Like, I think that goes back to this concept that we as therapists practice of meeting people where they're at and not, you know, judging them or again, comparing ourselves or them wherever they are and just being curious, like, okay, like what's happening for these people right now? What's happening for this child right now? How can I broach this topic of gratitude from a place that is developmentally appropriate, both emotionally and intellectually? You know, I mean, it's funny that you're bringing that up because um, the reason we grabbed this idea actually does come from my very own daughter who did tell me that I could sort of say this because she is annoyed that mm-hmm. this is happening in her school and she goes to a lovely school and I'm grateful to the school and I'm grateful to the, I, truly it's, it's a wonderful place. But in her English class, the very well-intended teacher is having the kids sort of like do it, you know, five minute gratitude reflection at the beginning of the class. But the thing is when you're doing that to adolescents, sometimes, I mean, like it's it's like asking them to code switch very quickly, mm, you yeah. know, like, so she's going into class and she's trying to be all like, like eight of pentacles, you know, she's trying to like, be like, I'm just trying to do my work. I'm just trying to like focus on what I'm doing. I'm just trying to like get in here and do the task at hand. And you're suddenly asking me to like, open up parts of myself that I don't necessarily want to open or have access to something Mm, that like, uh, like that I'm not prepared for. And so all of a sudden she's like, you know, six of swords. And she's like, I'm just trying to get like my homework done. And I think that that's like, not something that we real. it's very well intended, Mm -hmm. but recognizing that like a teenager being forced for a gratitude practice, like is not always an appropriate thing. And, you know, or somebody who's in the middle of a clinical depression or somebody who is like, just hasn't, has gone through a lot of trauma and hasn't been able to access this place. I love everything you're saying. And, you know, beyond forced gratitude, I want to go back to your daughter and having this, you know, this teacher, of course, very well intended. Lovely. Lovely Yeah. Yeah. Like I love the idea, but the teacher probably unknowingly is also forcing vulnerability. Yes. And often, especially as a teenager, school is not a safe place to be vulnerable these days, if ever. Um, And even if, you know, the gratitude practice isn't shared, the act of, you know, you use the, the term code switch. And I think that's, you know, we could certainly apply that here you know, you're shifting from one mindset to another pretty rapidly in a way that you know is not safe for you, but you worry about the ramifications of not doing it Mm -hmm. if you don't put Mm -hmm. yourself in that position, which goes back to what we were talking about regarding like guilt and shame and and essentially resentment. And I think it could be dangerous to put yourself in that position or, you know, in this case, you know, a child to say, okay, guess what? I don't care if you don't want to do this. I'm, I'm asking you to do it. You have to do it. It's for a grade, you know, and then also (laughs) that's a situation that could exacerbate comparison, which is what I was talking about a moment ago. Absolutely. Theodore Roosevelt says, 
I think he was famous for saying comparison is the thief of joy. So even if they aren't sharing their gratitude with the class, people are still going to be talking about what they're writing on this list. And then all of a sudden you have kids sitting there listening to what other people are grateful for and comparing themselves silently. And now suddenly their day is ruined. Mm -hmm. They're in a bad mood. You know, if they were already depressed or having a bad day at home, like I could go off on this, but I, and of course, very well intended, very well meaning. I love it, but wrong place, wrong time. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing is that this is a practice and it needs to be done artfully and carefully. Like I'm thinking about hang, hanged man here, you know, like yeah. hanged man didn't just like, we don't get to this place of a new perspective, like super quick and easy, like just hang upside down, you know, like it takes some like manipulating and acclimation to be able to see things from a different perspective. And like, we just have to recognize that that is a process. And it's it's very much a mistake to try to force it. And I think what you're saying yeah. also in terms of like age is appropriate, you know, like and identity when, you know, like a teenager's job is to show up at school and to be trying on a cloak of an identity. That's what their job is. And like the cloak of identity that they are showing up to school with is not who they actually are. It's them figuring out who they are. And so like sort of like some of these activities are like asking people to remove cloaks. Now we're talking about like my kid, because this is where the idea came from. But you know what? I actually think that we see this in workplaces too. So many workplaces are like, again, very kindly, well-intended, having people take all these personality tests and sort of talking about like, you know, what color they are or whatever. And also sometimes people show up at work and they're in their work identity and they don't necessarily want to be unraveling part of that in this space. I love everything you're saying. I want to go back to a minute ago, you brought up King of Cups. And I think it's relevant to what you're talking about right now in terms of these these cloaks Mm -hmm. and this concept of forcing this practice and this sense of vulnerability. And I really want to read a passage from Jessica Dore's book, Tarot for Change. Mm about the King of Cups. So Jessica Dore is a social worker um, and I be- like a tarot teacher, I believe. And she writes, emotions are often passed down through generations until they reach someone who has the right set of resources and abilities to resolve them, mm. which is to say to clear space for them to emerge, unfold and find full expression. Water has for so long been a symbol of birth and life, and I would argue that emotions, which are also associated with water, simply want what all other life wants, to be born, to have a safe space to express fully, and to die, eventually, as all living things do. While our human impulse is often to deny our feelings, that fundamental right, the King of Cups protects it. Emotions are like water, too, in that they can be powerful and all-consuming. They can flood us in the same way that water can— When an emotion arises, which often happens rapidly, we can lose our connection with the earth and have to make a deliberate effort to ground. I think this is so important in terms of talking about gratitude and finding the right place in the right time, knowing where you're at mentally and emotionally, and especially in terms of this place where, you know, your daughter having to talk about, you know, this really vulnerable personal practice in a setting where emotions could be flooded. And if she's not in a space where she can process those emotions, like Jessica Dorp points out, mm-hmm. suddenly this practice of gratitude becomes damaging. Same as if 
we're not in the right place mentally or emotionally with anxiety or depression, like you mentioned earlier. I think that's exactly right. That's a beautiful passage. Um, and like, so well said, like, that's a great right? description of King of Cups. Yes. <laughs> I like her. I know. Um, she's awesome. Yeah. That's really neat. I think that now might be a good moment to sort of actually talk about like the way that gratitude works properly. Yes. Um, because we're sort of talking about like the ways that it doesn't work. So let's, uh, let's turn it upside down for a second. So, um, gratitude, I mean, is obviously something like it's a human emotion. Like people have written about it and talked about it for like thousands of years. I mean, we can date it back to the ancient Greeks and I'm sure it was there before. So nothing new there, but in terms of psychology, it got popular, uh, with, with positive psychology, which is a relatively new field. It's about 20 years or so. Um, and there's two people who have really studied specifically gratitude in the field of positive psychology. They're um, Emmons and McCullough. And Emmons did a study in 2003 that really broke down the stages of gratitude. And I think that this is very important to talk about because without this, then it just becomes this, like, we're just throwing stuff at the wall. So there's these three stages. The first one is being able to acknowledge that there is something good. And the second stage is recognizing that the source of that good thing is external. And the third one is appreciation. Now, this is huge. If you think about what those three stages, those are the, that by his definition of that is what true gratitude is like, that's really hard. And I would say that, like, I didn't even realize this, but in my own practice, I actually tend to lean just on the first one. I don't ask people to be grateful. I kind of will generally start with, can we acknowledge that there is something good, mm -hmm. anything? A nice pair of socks is like these. I'm sure I've said right. it before on the podcast. Yeah. That's like, that's so much work. Just that for some people, just acknowledging that something's good. Step two is like universe breaking this idea that I need to acknowledge that there is something good. And now that I need to acknowledge that goodness is coming from an external source. Whoa. And then I have to be thankful. Then I can appreciate it or be thankful for it. So we can't just like sit down and like write in a journal. I mean, we can, if we have access to the other places, but if we are just kind of writing down things that are nice without these places, we're not actually in a gratitude practice. Mm, I love where you're going with this. And it's really making me think too how the lens through which we view things is so important mm -hmm. because if we, you know, without a gratitude practice, it could be so easy for us to focus on what we don't have and when we are focused on what we don't have or what we're missing out on, then our life becomes just overflowing with this sense of lacking. And then when we shift our focus and we find that one thing, because I do the same thing, I'm like, what's one small thing that you can focus on that is the foundation from which you can feel like you are able to stand on something good? Then it's like, oh, okay, the lens through which I'm viewing things isn't 100% terrible as it was before. Mm -hmm. So right before COVID hit, 
I was able to go to Nashville um, in early 2020. And it's really, Nashville's amazing. It's one of my favorite cities like in the entire world. If you haven't gone, highly recommend. But there's this place called The Listening Room where basically you get to hear a bunch of songwriters talk about um, their songs and their stories. And it's just a really fun, intimate place place to go. And if you've ever been to like a songwriters in the round type of event, you know that everyone's kind of sitting around with their acoustic guitars talking about the, how a song came to be. And we got really lucky because you never really know who's, who's going to be at these events. And there were some, you know, pretty um, established songwriters there. And there was this one guy named Drew Green who um, was about to really start his music career. And if anyone listens to country music, you probably know who he is by now. Um, but basically, he was talking about this, his first single called Little More Be All Right. And so it was inspired by his friend who was kind of like lowballing him on an offer to play at an event in their hometown. And his friend was like, hey, is like X amount of money okay for this event? And Drew Green was like, yeah, but a little more will be all right. And then they laughed and his friend was like, that's a song. <laughs> and it did end up becoming a song. And he, so he's sharing the story at the songwriters and it's really cool. Drew ended up giving him songwriting credits, which was, you know, a good move. Um, but the song is about how you can be grateful for what you already have and still desire more. And I think mm. that's what we're talking about where we are like, let's focus on what we do have. And in the song, part of the course, it's, it's super catchy and clever. Um, he says, you know, I'm a simple man. I don't need a lot. I'm good right here with what I've got, but a little more be all right. Um, which I love because it gives us room to live and exist beyond, you know, the confines of what has either been opposed upon us or where we already are. Um, which kind of going back to that forced toxic gratitude can be really isolating and make us feel like there isn't any room for a little more. And I think that's where this practice of gratitude can come into because it can expand our mind and our, our ability to access more when we feel like there isn't anything to access. If, you know, so when people come into my office and they're really depressed and it's like, no, I have nothing. I can't get anything. I won't have anything. That's where I think, you know, the song is so clever because yeah, you're a simple, simple person. You don't have a lot, but a little more is still okay to want, but let's focus on what you already have. And in the song, he talks about how he's got, you know, coffee and a truck and, you know, very country-esque, like gas in the truck, you know, and it's those little things like my truck is full of gas. I have coffee in my mug. These are things that I am happy for. And I'm so grateful to be able to start my day with a hot cup of coffee. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, this is where it really gets into like the muckiness of uh, human despair. I, I, I really am struck by this sort of second point in this study that we have to recognize that the the goodness has an external source. I think mm -hmm. that's where people really get stuck because when we really get into the mud with this, what happens is like, the coffee, I don't care about the coffee. I don't mm -hmm. care about the truck. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. because I feel so completely isolated, alone, that life has no purpose and that like there's no hope at all. When you're talking to somebody who's in that space, boy, it's hard. That That's a real, I hate that space. It is really, really rough to exist there. And to just try to shift it a little bit, like a little page of swords of like, can we think a little differently? Can we edit this mm. thought a little bit? And I think that it's fascinating that one of the cures to this is this idea of edit by like, let's just be glad for coffee, for coffee's mm -hmm. existence. 
But now let's have a moment of being grateful for the people who are like acknowledging that the reason I have this cup of coffee in my hands is because so many people put so much labor into the creation of like the coffee machine, the the farming of the beans, like the grocers, like everybody else. Like I have this coffee because of other people. Yeah. And recognizing that moment of like, I have this coffee because of other people, like you can't say that to somebody who doesn't even appreciate the coffee. Mm -hmm. But that is kind of the way out of it is let's just appreciate the coffee. And now let's acknowledge the goodness, not only of the coffee, but also of being in this world with other people. And I think often that's hard to do because the person feels so isolated and can't find the goodness of other people. Mm. You're talking about compassion, like an empathy. And it makes me think of Brene Brown and how, you know, that's kind of her thing that she talks about. And I think when you're in that space and it is so difficult to express any sort of gratitude or compassion, like for yourself in that moment, it's, it usually is a little bit easier to express it for others or or maybe not even humans, but like your pet or Mm -hmm. a pet. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I've seen this with clients where it's like they don't have pets, but they have like a stray cat colony. And it's like, I'm so grateful that these stray cats come and show up at my doorstep because they they do make me happy. And it's those little things that you wouldn't think about. Like those cats don't belong to me, but they live on my street, mm-hmm. you know? So like someone might say, you know, might feel bad. Well, I have nothing. I don't even have a pet, but well, no, you have this, this colony that lives on your street and they like walking up and down your driveway. So something that you just said about like isolation made me think of this concept of personal gaslighting. I don't know if that's talked about, but that's exactly how it came to mind when you were talking about gratitude in that way. Cause it's like, no matter what, um, because things can always be worse. It's almost like, like the tower card. Like if I'm not having a major tower moment or I don't, I don't deserve to be grateful essentially is I think kind of where I'm going with what you're saying. And then it's like, okay, let's talk about why you're not deserving. Like this could spiral so quickly into so many different avenues for people. Cause it's not just, it's not just one thing based on someone's experience of anxiety and depression, for example, and how that relates to gratitude. Um, because I think what you're talking about is like really intense major depression. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that also exists with like this, intense low self-worth. And then it's like, okay, well, let's try and figure out why you don't feel worthy of anything. Because if you don't feel worthy of anything, it's going to be really hard to feel grateful for anything. Right. Right. I mean, and that is what I was talking about, but I mean, like, God, you just said like five things that were super interesting, personal gaslighting, like what? Like, (laughs) like, that's like, yes. Can we talk about that for five hours? (laughs) And, you know, I think that the tower is a good card to bring up um, because yeah, I think some people compulsively have this thing of kind of looking for the tower. Because if I can sort of keep pulling up tower moments, this Mm -hmm. went wrong, and this went wrong, and this was terrible. Some people use it as a way of connecting with others of sort Mm -hmm. of like, if I have something to complain about, I have something to talk about. And it's like, more socially acceptable to complain than to like, have than to give a compliment or just sort of say something nice or say things are going well for me. But I think also there is sort of this like how if I am not constantly living in tower moments, it's kind of scary because Mm. what like 
what if I become grateful for something and then it goes away or then I'm proven wrong? And so having this moment of like actually being pleased with something or being grateful for other the external source, what if I get duped and what if I get thrown out of the tower? I think a lot of people live in that, mm. you know, like some people mm. truly are like in this place of a massive depression and like that sucks. And that's what we were talking about earlier, but I'm shifting it over to people who are sort of like, where do we have choice on this? Mm. Are you choosing to live in the tower moments because you're just kind of scared to do it a different way? That's really interesting. I, and I see I see, I feel like an even number of both that and this placing of like major emphasis on needing some major trauma or betrayal in order to justify feeling sad or disappointed. So no Mm -hmm. one's allowed to talk about their own personal tower moments because they feel like they're not tower enough. And they often feel like ashamed, like, oh, no, I can't talk about, you know, X, Y, Z, because, you know, so-and-so's tower moment was way worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just also fuels, like, feelings of emptiness and depression, um, you know, and again goes back to what I was saying about feeling like we haven't essentially suffered enough, so we don't deserve to talk about our suffering or we don't deserve to desire more for ourselves because we're better off than other people. Yeah, and I think that we see an awful lot of that like that's sort of like where the shortcut has become this like well um like (laughs) there's this sort of like thing of sort of like one-upping each other with trauma I mean like Mm -hmm. I almost remember like when we actually interviewed at at Hopkins they um the way they did it was they brought us all everybody had to actually like show up um, as a part of a group interview. Yeah. And I remember being kind of struck early in the interview process when we were sort of like in these small groups and we were supposed to be talking about like why we were interested in doing this. And there was a professor sitting and listening in. I was aware of the fact that it was kind of getting amped up. Like this mm-hmm. person was like, well, my mom was schizophrenic. You know, it's like, <laughs> everyone's like, oh, you win. You know, like that's not <laughs> like, yeah, there is a place of being able to say yeah, you know what? Like, I also had a, a hard childhood, but it's not as hard as yours, but it's also hard. And I can now sort of dance in this place of that's real. That was painful. That left marks on me. Even if other people had it worse, that's fine. But it did leave marks on me. And also, oh my God, now this is where we get into the very, very difficult, very advanced work. Again, this is offering algebra to a second grader sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like we have to be careful with this. Okay. And so what do you have now in your life that's good? Mm -hmm. And how can we allow other people to, or other sources to get some credit for that? And how can we be grateful for all of those things? So I can sort of say, yes, you know, like I had a difficult childhood. My parents weren't emotionally present for me. How do I get to a place of being grateful for that? Well, I'll tell you, you can do it, but we shouldn't force anyone to do it. That can take decades. The way to do it is to recognize that although you had parents who were not emotionally present for you, You did have that one teacher in third grade who showed up for you. And that one teacher in third grade was able to show you a different way. And even though that was a painful childhood, it has given you some gifts of being able to see the world more clearly, 
and being able to really appreciate kindness. And it's given you a place where you're walking in a place of kindness for others and that that's a beautiful way to live. So in a way, I'm kind of grateful for the experience of having emotionally neglectful parents because it did give me a greater understanding of how the world works and my own personal agency. What I just said, that's decades of therapy. I think everything that you're saying is so powerful and I have so many things to say. (laughs) I think the first thing that pops into my head is you're basically suggesting let's shift the words that we're using or the way we're talking about gratitude because, or at least that's how I'm interpreting or what's coming up for me, because I think even the concept of gratitude, especially, I mean, because I can totally like feel and hear some people going, ew, I cannot be grateful for any sort of trauma that happened to me. Totally and I don't understand. want them to. And I don't right, want exactly. them to. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Please don't. Right. Right. But I think w- what you're suggesting is let's talk about how you've grown. Let's mm-hmm. talk about who you are now. Let's talk about like the work that you've done and how you're different from what you came from or what happened to you. Because you used the word reductive earlier, because it can be like doing this work, like you said, is so difficult and it does take years and we don't have to be reduced to, you know, what happened to us in childhood. You know, we can take a look at, you know, how far we've come. I'm thinking about like my very first experience in therapy. It was so powerful to have my therapist look at me and say, you are heroically (laughs) well-adjusted. And I swear I want that tattooed on my body somewhere because she doesn't realize how powerful her saying that. Her saying that changed my entire life because in that moment I was like, that's what I can be grateful for. Yes. That I had some sort of resilience within me that even though I shouldn't have had to go through what I went through, like no one should have to go through any hard shit. Like in a perfect world, we wouldn't, but I'm grateful that I am well-adjusted and that I had some level of resilience. And that was like the foundation from which I was able to grow and start and find like other lenses through which to view things Mm -hmm. so that I wasn't just reduced to feeling like guilt and shame and horrible all the time. Oh my God. So powerful. The story you just told, like, I'm like tearing up, like it's beautiful. And, you know, I mean, I think that this is where we can kind of go back to this place of like the little sign that we hang on the wall, like what you just (laughs) said, let's compare what you just said to the sign on the wall. Right. Do we see how like there's a problem with the sign on the wall? How different. How very different. And so like there is a place where developing gratitude is a beautiful practice And that I don't expect anyone to be grateful for their trauma. Like, screw that. No. But it is an interesting journey to get to a place where you can find places of peace. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a good thing to strive for. And I don't think it's something that we should ever try to force. Right. Thank you so much for listening to The Tarot Diagnosis. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok under the handle at The Tarot Diagnosis and join us while we pull daily cards and explore tarot and mental health in between podcast episodes. You can also subscribe to our podcast to make sure that you never miss an episode. 
If you have a topic or question that you'd like for us to explore on the podcast, you can contact us directly on our website, www.thetarotdiagnosis.com.